in Hollywood. <laughs> Welcome to No Concessions, your favorite movie podcast uh, where we discuss subgenres of film. This week's subgenre is, well, could have been worse. That stretches the imagination. <laughs> uh, Th- this or- is the first movie I saw where I thought if I had access to all the same cast and crew and the same budget, I could do a better job than this director did. Really? I'm going to. So I when I watched this movie uh, yesterday. Morning, well, hey, so we're not getting into the review yet. Okay. We're, I feel like this is going to get into the review. Yeah. We're reviewing 2006's Ultraviolet. And look, I made that, I said that same thing about the Hangover movies, and I wrote a script. The script was really bad. Uh, but yes, anyway, um, just because something is bad doesn't necessarily mean you can do better. But I'd be interested in taking up that challenge. So we as a group. We're should gonna, let's write a movie. Let's bar- no, pitch. we got to write an entire movie. Okay. We got to write what one entire film as a group. 60 pages. 90 pages. That's 90 pages. Yeah, 90, it's got to be. 95 yeah, pages. Right. Tight 90. It's yeah, a tight 90, 90. 95 and pages. Ultraviolet is a tight 90. <laughs> yes, it is. One thing I respect about this movie. We, instead of doing the typical opening segment uh, where we have something fun to talk about, we're just going to shoot the shit a little bit. Uh, Charles, what have you been watching lately? I've been, as I mentioned in the last episode, I've been working through some movies. I made, I made, I compiled a list of movies that I haven't seen or have seen, but not for a while, so that I can uh, just kind of refresh myself. It turned there are like a lot of movies that like are like classics that I haven't watched. Like for example, I haven't seen the first Terminator. I've seen every other Terminator except for the first one somehow. And well, you know, it was recommended in last episode. The algorithm <laughs> did recommend that we watch it for the show. <laughs> but I've been working my way through some uh, movies and TV shows. Like, uh, I've been watching uh, Gargoyles, because it's on Disney+. And while the opening of that series is very long... So you know how, like, a lot of animated series, or like even just like TV shows in general, will have kind of like an extended pilot that especially for like a 22 minute series will usually be like two or three episodes to like bring you into the concept. And then it gets into like the episodic stuff. Uh, Gargoyles opening is fucking five episodes long. Wow. It's a TV movie, which I feel like if I had remembered that I would have been more prepared for the idea that I'm gonna have to watch five episodes of one single narrative. Um, but watching it in like two episode spurts, which is what I've kind of had time for considering my work schedule and also watching movies has been like, man, I feel like Gargoyles has taken a long time to get going because it does. But now that I'm into like about halfway through the first season, Gargoyles is fucking great. You guys like Gargoyles is very good. The animation even like for a show that started in 1995. The animation is really solid. I remember watching that when I was a kid. And like that's all I remember is like watching it as a kid because it wasn't a syndication really. It didn't I don't think it made it to 100 episodes to be syndicated. Um, I think they canceled it after what like the third season? It made it to three seasons, yeah. And or I think it, it was four seasons. But because they were 20 it was I don't know, I, I know it didn't make it to 100 episodes, so it didn't get syndication, but I think it did get four seasons. So I think maybe three and four were shorter. 
Um, and it was probably because of the voice talent um, demanded a higher budget than maybe some of their only other stuff did. Even though I'm realizing that they're reusing a lot of voices. Nice. <laughs> like uh, Jeff Bennett has just in the first half of the first season played four different characters. Two of them being main characters. Something I have noticed when shows do that. So, side note, I've got all of Futurama on DVD because yep. I'm that type of person. He's Hell got yeah. a Futurama poster on his refrigerator. <laughs> um, they they have commentary on every single episode. I love the Futurama commentary. It's, what? I, Dude, yeah, the I've, Futurama commentary. I've only seen it for the first season, but the Futurama commentary is so good. I've watched it for several seasons worth. And for one of the main characters... Um, Zoidberg. Is it Billy West? Yes, yes. So Billy, West voice, Billy West. So for reference, Billy West voices Fry, um, the professor, and Zoidberg on top of like other random side characters. Yeah, whenever it's like Fry talking to Zoidberg, all the actors and directors and whatever watching it, they're like, oh, Billy West is talking to himself again. <laughs> if, he, if Billy West doesn't strike a chord for you, he also voiced both Rin and Stimpy after the. So he voiced Stimpy originally, and then the creator of the show voiced Ren. No, it was Carlos Alzraki voiced Ren initially. And then something happened and he ended up leaving. Because, and like also the creator of the show also left because he was a piece of shit and didn't know how to run a show. And MTV just took over um, after the second season. After the first season, I think. And so Billy West ended up voicing both of them. Uh, you've heard Billy West's voice. He's also the voice of the Red Eminem. Look at Billy West's IMDb. He's voiced so many characters that you probably like a whole lot. Anyway, I only bring that up because whenever I hear like animated shows, the same actor voicing two main people, yeah. I always think back to that thing that I heard. Yeah, I also like uh, Phil Lamar. We talked about Static Shock in the last episode. Phil Lamar voices Static, and he also voices um, John Stewart in the Justice League cartoon. And so there are two cross or technically four crossover but they're like they're both two parts four crossover episodes of justice league and static shock and a lot of it is just the two black characters static and john stewart talking to each other and it's just <laughs> phil lamar switching back and forth between voices just like billy west talking to himself in free drama if you've got disney plus or if you're okay with piracy which we don't directly advocate for never uh, not once Look it up. I mean, fucking Disney Plus is $9. Fucking, or it's $7. It's $12.99 if you want Hulu and ESPN Plus. Right. So if, I guess if you're into all three of those things, pay the $12. But if you just want Disney Plus, for 7 bucks, you got access to a lot of shit. And watch Gargoyles. Uh, there's another show I've been, re- I've been watching for the first time, but I'll bring that up on another episode. All right. Uh, I made it through HBO's show, The Newsroom. Um, it was... <laughs> What? Wait, which one is the newsroom? It's uh, the super hindsight one where everything is like super quippy and twittery. It's like this. It's the ultimate clapback show. Oh, it's the um, it's the the, the West the rest room, but for it's uh, uh the, the West, West wing, wing, but for like millennial culture. Yeah, yeah, it's the the show that starts with like, why is America the greatest country on the planet? Oh, right, <laughs> we were. <laughs> I was thinking it's so stupid. I was thinking so stupid. I was thinking of. That Apple Plus show that had like oh, oh morning show the right the morning, morning show, that's right yeah. the morning show in the newsroom that's I the morning show was uh, I conflated those two me, the Me Too movement is really ruining Steve Carell's career it was three blonde women and Steve Carell Steve Carell who's like 
fully trying to pull the uh, Silver Fox hot He's a good-looking dude. Honestly, Steve Carell with the beard could get it. Okay. Uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Newsroom, it started out really strong. I would, I would recommend just watching the pilot because they do a pretty good job setting the tone for the whole show. But it, each successive season, and there are only three because the writer, uh, Aaron Sorkin, Went the oh, route. Yeah, of, so it's exactly the West Wing because it's yeah, the Sorkin. Yeah, thing. Aaron Sorkin, he's known for having very, very dense writing. And Holy everyone shit. will talk really fast like this to sound like they're really smart because they have a lot to say, but it's not really that much that they have on their minds. And then the, <laughs> the camera does like snap zooms and it does a little bit of shaky, wavery shit. A little bit. Um, the, the setup is it takes place in a fictitious news company called uh, Atlantis News network or something just pick a real city (laughs) oh man if that show is like the same show but it's set in atlantis and atlantis cable news that's why that's what it was called um atlanta the name atlanta comes from atlanta so just fucking yeah he's he's this like that's too far in the south for aaron sorkin (laughs) he's this disaffected news anchor who used to tell the news right without any sort of spin or anything but went the route of just um, telling popular news because it's the type of uh, content that people would watch more of. And then his old executive producer comes back to his uh, news station and she says, we're going to go back to telling like the facts and only the facts. And we're going to set up this ragtag group of millennials to source all of our news leads. Yeah. It's definitely not going to suffer the fate of every other non ad based (laughs) media. (laughs) And it does. Speaking of tech broification of things from last episode, they have this hilarious parody of like tech CEO, ultra powerful guy played by BJ Novak of all people huh. come in and uh, take he's over the kind, newsroom. He's Weasley looking. Yeah, but like the way that he plays his character is, I say everything extremely articulately, and everything will be my way. And it's like I know exactly the type of character that they're going for, but it like doesn't quite work in how they're shooting it. So yeah, the, the pilot's super good. They cover the um, the BP oil spill and that disaster. It's kind of like if you took Entourage and how it's a fictional story. So they they cover real news stories. So. Um, when it was written, it's like two or three years ahead of when the actual news stories came out. So like factually, it holds up, but there's a lot of like details in the plot which like never really get revisited. So the main anchor gets a death threat, for instance, in one episode, and then he gets Terry Crews as a bodyguard for the rest of the season. Uh, that's in season one. And then in season two, Terry Crews vanishes with absolutely nobody kind of like acknowledging what happened to him. And in the show, it still says there's death threats coming into the anchor, but they're not doing anything about it. And it never builds up to anything either. Uh, and then ultimately the show ended because Aaron Sorkin was just tired of writing these characters. I'm surprised. That he's- it's better that they did that instead of forcing nine more right. seasons of news. Because like if it's following the news, you have a literal bottomless amount of content to pull from. But I mean like the fact that when did the show come out? 2014, I think. I mean, even like to address the BP oil spill in 2014 is like already yeah, backtracking the, a bit. The problem with that show is it addressed everything in hindsight, and which is it, it always had the perfect answer for everything because hindsight allows you that perspective of like 
we understand that the choice that was made was the wrong one from this specific liberal perspective. Like, and I mean like textbook media liberal perspective. It's literally, at least in my opinion, I don't know how you felt about the show, but um, to me, it's really representative of the picture of Nancy Pelosi clapping behind Trump, like sarcastically clapping yeah. and people losing their minds over it. And it's just like, dog, like this is meaningless. This is nothing. This is pure, like truly symbolic. Yeah. And it's just a way for you as the person cr- like crafting their perspective to be like, look, we get that this is bad. So like, here's our snappy comeback from someone who's not affected it's by a, the actual results of this. Yeah. It's, it's the, the news show. that they cover is like very left leaning, like regardless of what your political affiliations are, I don't want to get into that on this movie yeah. podcast, but I just wish that they had the same kind of, snappy dialogue but from like an extremely like right perspective because that's not really something you see that much it'd be interesting to see what they would say to be fair what that would be like is so the way that that show looks is the way that um it's like very theatrical right but what's what's the right-leaning perspective of that like it's not um i mean we already have it's it's like Fox News. Yeah, we already have Fox News. It's, like that's already it's a literally thing. Tucker Carlson saying like, "Yo, immigrants make this country dirty." Like this is what, like this is what the liberals want is straight up that perspective. It's just that the tribalism on the liberal side of media tries to be more abst- quote unquote abstract. I was doing air quotes, but it's an audio <laughs> medium. It's more quote unquote abstract, where it's just like. Look, this we're not going to say what the opposite. We're not going to name the opposition, but like here's the point and here's the contrasting point. And it's like that's the exact like idea just from the other end of it. It's just that the right-wing version of that is just straight up saying this is what the left it's like the the capital L left wants for our country, but like for whatever reason the more capital L liberal side of media likes to pretend that there's this elevated form of tribalism that doesn't reach for those same talking points, but because it is trying to be more abstract, it turns out to be less effective, like in terms of riling up people. It's a whole thing. Again, it's not a political podcast. This is a movie podcast. <laughs> yeah. Regardless, the show is it's made pretty well. It's short enough that you can kind of like suffer the logical inconsistencies of it. So I would recommend it, but it's not the type of show that I would like. If you to like say, Aaron oh, Sorkin stuff, I feel like you're going to like more Aaron Sorkin stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I would I would say that uh, just as a forewarning for the show, it's very of the moment. So right. if you don't recall what was going on with Occupy Wall Street right. when this show was made, then this show it's not going to make any fucking sense. It's not going to click. Yeah. yeah, that's why I asked what year it started in. It's like that is a con- like conceptually that is a very context specific thing. It was like what was going on when the show was being written? If they're doing news stuff where it's like if you're doing comedy like comedy or like even like we've considered like veep for example which is like set in the year it's being produced and so it was able to take directly from uh headlines at the time 
and turn them in a comedy perspective. I feel like this is that, but as drama. And it's important to have that time-specific context if you're going to get into it. So if you can't place yourself to where we were when that first season started, it might not grab you in the same way. Yeah, and I think culturally right now, a lot of that shit's going to hit different. Yeah. Like coronavirus... Uh, could you imagine if Newsroom was on right now where you have fucking Jeff Daniels sitting in his house like on the phone screaming at his like ex-wife <laughs> producer like I can't believe we're in my fucking apartment making this bullshit and he throws a coffee cup and she says quippily you're gonna have to clean that up I don't know why you act like this at home it's, it's yeah god anyway I'll keep mine short we're uh going a little bit hard here uh Cyber City 808 it's a cyberpunk uh anime that's on youtube man um, you're, you're just digging for anything cyberpunk waiting for cyberpunk 2077 to come out. <laughs> kind of yeah yeah <laughs> i feel you there, there's something there's something about uh late 80s early 90s anime that leans super heavily into cyberpunk and i think even though the aesthetic is very like cut and paste you can kind of just apply different characters into the similar setting like there are small little things that people will put into cyberpunk things that make it worth watching and i like the show's not particularly good but i'm there for the aesthetic the aesthetic is really cool and the things that they have going on are in the show is really cool and it's not any worse than like a lot of the other things that i've watched so if you've got time check out the ova there are three episodes uh it's like three prisoners who are in supermax prison in space and i was uh, waiting for the cyberpunk twist like oh is it is it laser bars (laughs) is it robot guards oh in space okay cool (laughs) they're stuck on the satellite and it's a bit basically like suicide squad hey if you guys want to reduce your sentence uh go work for us you guys are going to become cops and they do and that's what all three ovas are about i think the first one is about um like somebody takes over a space satellite with a laser on it and they're going to blow up a building. The second one is about like some dude's personal revenge. And the third one is about cyberpunk vampires. Uh, the reason why I watched it is somebody posted this clip. <laughs> Speaking of, this, of cyberpunk vampires. Oh God. There's a, there's a clip of one of the characters that somebody posted on Twitter. Something that I'd recently deleted off of my phone. Uh, Good for wh- you. Thank you. Um, where this guy is sitting in his car talking to his coworker or whatever. And the guy, the first guy says, don't watch out for vampires while you're out there, buddy. And the other guys are just like, you wouldn't know a vampire if it bit you right on the tip of your dick. And I was just like, well, now I got to watch that. I got to find out what the fuck this is about. And so I watched it. It's pretty decent, pretty decent Tony niece. Check it out. I mean, if you're looking for cyberpunk things, that game keeps getting pushed back. It's not going to come out. It's, we're just not going to get it. It's going to be the Duke Nukem 3D of good games. <laughs> All right. When we come back, uh, our review. Or Duke Nukem uh, Forever. Don't at me. <laughs> Duke Nukem Forever. There we go. Um, when we come back, our review of uh, Ultraviolet.
this week's subgenre is this was a vampire movie, right? <laughs> I feel like the movie couldn't decide if it wanted to be a vampire movie. <laughs> uh, this week we're reviewing Ultraviolet, directed by Kurt Wimmer, produced by John Baldecci. Okay. Uh, written by Kurt Wimmer, Wimmer maybe, starring Mila Jovovich, Cameron Bright, Nick Chinland, and William Fitchner. Music by Klaus Beldelt, Bedelt. Cinematography, cinematography by Arthur Wong Noctai, edited by William Yeah, uh, <laughs> with a runtime of eighty-seven minutes. You love to see it. Budget of thirty million, box office of thirty-one point one million, Oof. and a runtime of, or I'm sorry, with a release date of March third, two thousand six. This was maybe too early in the year for Ultraviolet to release. If this had been a July release, it probably would have done better. Yeah, probably. Because it is pure popcorn action. Like, it's super simple. Also, would have given them the time to finish their special effects. Yeah. <laughs> probably about 60% of the special effects shots seem like they're still being rendered on a PlayStation 2. I think maybe that's supposed to be part of the aesthetic. Because Probably. The, the dude said something about how he wanted to be, like, he wanted to make this a comic book or something. Yeah. And he was just like, and that's why it's got the dumb opening that it has. Honestly. Yeah, the, the IMDB trivia page is actually pretty interesting for this movie. I was going through it and pulling out some random pieces, and wow, this there's a lot to <laughs> unpack with this movie. I would watch a movie about the making of Ultraviolet. They would it definitely would be, be longer more interesting than the actual than movie, probably. <laughs> Yes. Do, you, do you have any tidbits that you want yeah, to share? Yeah, well, like, speaking of the special effects, from one of the pieces of trivia, it says that uh, it was originally shot to be about a two-hour movie, and then the distributors, Sony or whoever, they cut it down to 90 minutes, making it, like, an incoherent movie. And it sounds like they wanted to rush it out to have it meet its announced release date, which is why some of those special effects just that is a, literally were not finished. That is a Sony problem. Wow. Sony, and I guess we've kind of seen it with some of the Marvel movies, but like Sony in particular has been like, hey, we set a date for this release. You've got to meet that release no matter what. Wow. Make it work. And yeah, that shows. That yeah, yeah so it wasn't part so of the aesthetic. Much. It's just bad, unfinished, unfinished special effects. Because like there are certain shots where you see actors on screen and then like they're compositing and like the green screen compositing is notably worse yeah. than other scenes in the movie. It's one of those things that you see so rarely it's shockingly bad. Yeah. And you have to imagine like what could have possibly, but from the, the trivia it's uh, stated multiple times that the director wanted to make a comic book movie to the point where, and I quote, though ultraviolet is not a comic book property, the film was stylistically designed to look like one, such as with the brilliantly colored outfits and hair and an airbrushed appearance to close-ups of actors' faces. Yeah. That's present. Yeah. And even... Oh, that's why everything looks so soft. Even, yeah. Even worse. Whoa. Those, all the close-ups in particular are super, <laughs> like, soap opery. Like, that's how soft everyone looks in these shots. Whoa. Even worse. And this is another piece of trivia. Kurt Wimmer, again the director, a comic book fan, decided to do the opening credits as a montage of ultraviolet comic books, since he had always wanted to make a comic book movie. Ultraviolet itself is not a comic book property. If you hadn't told me that, I would have probably, like a lot of people did in 2006, 
went to a comic store and looked for ultraviolet. Well, yeah, with all the like weird plot elements of the movie, I thought, okay, well, obviously it's just poorly adapted yeah, there's material. Source, there's source material here that they didn't have the time to get into. Because like the opening of the movie is straight up expository dialogue. And I was like, oh, this is something that would be in the first issue or two of a run of this comic. And then the the literal opening credits are like a series. They're a series of stills of comic book covers of different situations. Ultraviolet, Violet, the character has been in, but these are comics that do not exist. Whoa, my I'm I'm tweaking right now. It's jarring. Like if if Charlie hadn't posted that in our like group chat for the podcast, I would have been like. Oh, I guess I had to look up the source material for Ultraviolet because I had not seen this movie before. And I was like, okay. When I started it, I was like, oh, great. There's, these are like comic book covers. So these are probably just like stylized adaptations of actual comic book covers. But because I had remembered from earlier in the week that these were not actually, this is not actually a comic book. I was like, all right, well, that's just, these are stylistic choices then. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. He to the wanted, point where like, it exaggerates characters in like that opening sequence that aren't in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, the, some of the like, appearances of it, uh, the director wanted to make a movie that looked like a comic book come to life, which is why they have so many like vibrant colors in it. But they airbrush Mila Jovovich's face to the point where you can't even see like the contours of her nose. She just looks like Voldemort with like two holes in the front of her face <laughs> or her nostrils because you can't make out anything. The contrast has just been turned up to like infinity. That's so wild. I, I thought that was supposed to be like, so her, her deal as a character is there's this global pandemic that's swept the world and shout out to everyone wearing masks in this movie <laughs> uh, shout out to people wearing masks incorrectly in the movie just below their nose <laughs> but well, there's like a most so like most people i took note of it most people are wearing their masks properly but it's probably like one out of every like six people has it pulled under their nose like it's not effective dog <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting considering one character has a nose filter on every scene he's in but he's not wearing a mask, so yeah. he's still breathing. Anyway, she and many other people have been infected with this plague called hemophage, which is like referred to on and off. They're called vampires, but it's not like consistent in how they're called that. Um, regardless, they're infected with this. And I thought watching the movie that like this weird high contrast airbrush look with the characters is a way for the movie to indicate these are infected people. That's kind of why their skin tone looks that way. But because it wasn't consistently shown, right. I thought it was just like left up to, oh, well, they, they messed up their visual effects. But what they were going for is the appearance of these people indicates whether or not they're infected. But it's not. It's just some yeah, weird... It's not consistent. No, and not even at all. Like, the non-infected people we see are almost always wearing some sort of mask or protective gear. So there's no like direct contrast. Everyone we see who's not infected is wearing a mask, except for, spoilers, the dude who is the main antagonist who turns out is also a hemophage. This is... This who doesn't have the visual indicators despite him never wearing a mask in the film. This is fucking blowing my mind. <laughs> I, I wrote all these notes about the movie, and 
everything that you've said just has solved every one of those. Like what? Uh, why does everything look like a fucking soap opera? They sl- it looks like season one of RuPaul's Drag Race, <laughs> where like fucking everything is super soft. It makes no sense. Uh, what else did I put? Um, no, it it opens with comics, but it's like where. Like why does it like where's the comic logo like you right. see in like old DC films and even it's like Marvel films it shows the price of the comic being a dollar but also that it's like explicitly in like the nineties like comics haven't been a dollar since the seventies like that's not <laughs> you know actually I'm looking at my notes again and I want to say. The first like fifteen minutes of this movie are done pretty well. The opening sequence of this film is great. Yeah, it's amazing. Honestly, I was gonna do a bit uh, when we got to no concessions, where I was like, "My no concessions is 2006's Ultraviolet." Because honestly, I really love this movie. Watching it, <laughs> this is exactly the level of dumb bullshit that I get into. This Ultraviolet walked so that Speed Racer could run. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Truly, that's what I thought of watching this movie. It was like, Speed Racer got to do all the stuff that it did because they had a singular vision and the time and budget. Speed Racer is what Ultraviolet was probably going for if they'd had the time and budget to actually execute all of their ideas. Like, it's very stylized in a way that I'm very into. And the first act, like the opening act of the film is the best example of what they're trying to do. Like the aesthetics are very solid. The special effects hold up throughout that whole sequence. Like from when the film starts to when she finally escapes that facility with the briefcase, the stupidly designed briefcase (laughs) is like, it's all very aesthetically pleasing. They take advantage of like, it's purely just a way to have Mila Jovovich wear a bunch of wigs. Because even like her normal hair is very clearly a wig. And then she wears like three or four different colored wigs throughout the film that are that same hairstyle. But like when she's entering, when like they do the like initial check-in, which that's also like clearly an unfinished effect, when she pulls into that courtyard and it just like looks gray and like even like the t- like the ground is just tiles. Like this is straight up just you applied the most basic texture you could over this environment. But like when they're doing like the centrifuge, doing the preliminary blood check, that looks really cool. Like that's a cool concept. And she enters and she has to like sit in that chair and like it scans her and takes her blood. That also looks very well polished and impressive. Like and it fits into the aesthetic of what they're trying to set up. And, like, all the different colored rooms and the way all the different guards have a very distinct look. The opening 15 minutes of this film are great. And then it just hits the skids. Yep. I have to say the biohazard room was probably... That was my second favorite. My first favorite was when they were doing the ultraviolet scan of her body. Yeah. And, like, the sharp purple with the red in the background yeah, a little dude. bit. That was, like, really well done. These, I was just like, is this movie a lot better than I remember? Right. What the fuck? It, all of the movie had that same level of polish, which it sounds like, from what you told us, is what they wanted. Ultraviolet would have been great. Like, a genre-defining film. Yeah, it w- that, that would be my Speed Racer 2008. I would say, oh, Speed Racer really took a lot of inspiration from Ultraviolet. Right. But instead, it's Speed Racer is what Ultraviolet could have been if they had allowed it to have and its the, full vision. The opening fight scene 
Um, I do have to say this, uh, where they're fighting in that room. It's so with it, Mila Jovovich or the five like ninja guys in the oh I'm sorry For, I forgot about that the Mila, oh yeah I completely forgot about that opening <laughs> yeah ignore ignore all of the complimentary things we've said uh, the opening three minutes are nothing yeah it's just it doesn't even matter like they're at a blood bank to steal blood or poison blood they're or something to infect the blood infect the blood and it's just so like, like everyone vampires also vampires are in this movie. <laughs> And it's like they the vampires are hardly mentioned for the rest of the movie. I think we hear the word vampire four times. There, yeah. there was another piece of trivia that I pulled out where, in the context of the movie, the word vampire is supposed to be like, like a racial epithet, like a slur <laughs> for word. Hem- like for hemophages. But it's never said in the movie. People just alternate between calling people with this infection vampires or hemophages it's just, it's yeah it's just back and forth like black versus african-american like it's just <laughs> you're not really doing the work to show that one of them is worse yeah yeah uh going back to the fight scene with mila jovovich that was like really well done up to a point and like i thought uh, there's like this tonal switch in the music where it becomes like a little bit circusy. Like it's supposed to be like triumphant hero music, but it just kind of sounds like circus music. Yeah, and it's like, oh, like what are you doing? It's like, and that's kind of where the movie starts to slide down for me. There's she does like gun kata in the movie, or like gestures reminiscent of gun kata. There are definitely a so- lot of sequences where it's like. This is so that it looks good visually, but it's not really practical in terms of an actual fight or shootout scene. So it's interesting that you say that. I was thinking the same thing, but because of like the clearly unfinished quality of the movie, I thought this is like a bargain bin equilibrium, which is a Christian Bale movie. It it has a lot of the same elements to it where it's like this quasi-religious authoritarian government controlling how everybody lives. And I found out this is the same director who did Equilibrium. Really? That explains wow. the uh, giant cross of the uh, government, of like the, the facility that's doing all this testing when we like see her like blow up the shit at the end. It's a giant cross that they zoom out, like they, or they zoom into and it looks like shit because the effects aren't finished. Hold on. Did Equilibrium come out? They must have come out like right around. Equilibrium was first. Oh, okay. It was like 2004 versus 2006. Damn, dude. I mean, look. So there's one part of this movie where it's, yeah, it's so incredible that Equilibrium is so much better than this. Uh, Although they're both on the same lines of Goofy. Uh, She's doing gun kata, like standing on this roof as these guys with guns run at her. And it's like very I really enjoyed that sequence. I'm not going to lie. It's it's they have guns. Why aren't they just standing away from her and shooting at her? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. That's where the movie lost me completely. Yeah. She jumps off the roof and it's like, oh, Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that part. Yeah. And it's like, well, the gravity thing was really sick. Like her. That was great. It was a cool. So much of this movie is almost good. Yeah. It's it's just right on the cusp of being extremely enjoyable. Like this th- Sony shot themselves in the foot. Yeah. Like just straight up. This movie just could give have been them until really July good. instead of March and just let this, you know, give them the extra $60,000 to finish the effects. <laughs> Budget of $30,000 and they did a lot with it. With I want $30 the, million. Dollars. I want the Excuse Snyder me. Cut version of Ultraviolet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give it to us. And so at the time of this recording, the DC fandom was yesterday. 
and uh, they released a Snyder Cut trailer that I watched. So I watched uh, the theater version, the theater release of Justice League, just so I would have something to compare. So I would have a fresh comparison for the Snyder Cut whenever that shit comes out. I'll probably end up having to watch it again because it's been pushed back to 2021. But um, like the Snyder Cut trailer sold me on the idea of releasing Justice League again. But also, as you've noticed from my no concessions, I'm very easy to please. (laughs) So I feel like in the same way, if they had given Ultraviolet the time and money to finish what this vision was, I feel like Ultraviolet could have very significantly defined sci-fi action movies in the second half of the aughts. Like, absolutely. All the pieces are there. It's just the execution wasn't allowed to really get to where they wanted it to get. Because this is so close to being a honestly very good movie. But like, Sin City came out the year before, and Sin City is like a page, like a page for page comic book movie, as opposed to like an original concept that could have taken that same type of aesthetic in sci fi instead of noir. Like, that's how it feels. Like, Sin City came out in 2005. It is a comic book noir film. And Ultraviolet could have been, like, a comic book sci-fi film in that same vein and had the same level of success had it been given the time and money to actually execute that idea. I think that one of the things that this movie would definitely benefit from is a Wimmer cut. Wimmer cut? I don't know how you say his name. Give us the Wimmer cut. Yeah. Dude, I would watch the fuck out of that. Because, like, you can watch the movie and it looks like shit in a lot of spots. And the story is, like, aggressively 2000s. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we don't like religion. Cool. What else do you have to say? That's not what you're there for. You're there for the aesthetic. Right. And the aesthetic does a lot of The aesthetic is super strong. Like, the uh, color-changing outfits. Because, like, if if it had just been Violet herself... And I'm like, that's a weird, like, choice. But, like, when we see the actual courier show up and she has, like, that same shit. And then we see a couple of other characters, like, their outfits also change based on, like, the environment. And they also take very good advantage of that. Every time Violet's clothes change in response to her environment, in particular in the third act when her hand is bleeding and then her outfit changes from white to red... I was like, that's fucking sick. Like, it looks I really honestly, fun. I have beef with that scene, yeah. mostly because she's over here using a fucking sword, right? And she's cutting up dudes in white. Like, and, what's the point of having an all-white room, right. dudes in all-white? There's blood effects earlier in the film, but not in that scene specifically. So that was weird. Yeah. But I, I chalked that, you know, that up to special effects budget. Right. We, we have no idea what the full extent of, like, the... The finished product versus what we actually saw was going to be. Right. Because we know like PG-13 movies, most of the blood splatter Uh, is post-production. It was originally going to be R as well. Oh, well, some of those, some of those recuts that Sony did in order to push it out uh, were to bring it down to a PG-13 rating. Wild. Damn. If I had a larger platform on Twitter, I'd be like, yo, give us the Wimmer cut. We want to see it. I'd tweet out them directly. Give us the Wimmer cut. Yeah. Because this, this movie has a if lot I can of cast potential. the same people, I mean, not Cameron Bright, because he's an adult now. <laughs> the, the end scene where they're fighting in the dark, like, and they have flaming swords. Yeah. That was, it looked shitty, but I was just like, this is like okay execution for something that could be really bitching. Yeah, it's so close to being great. Yeah. 
it's like it's just this close. As, as soon as he's like, yeah, nigga, I'm also a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I don't need? Light. And then like the the triangle dome starts to turn black. I was like, oh shit. This could be super dope. But I also remember that I've been watching for 75 minutes at that point. It was like, <laughs> it's not going to be super dope. But even like the swords are flaming and he's like, like that like holy water gun or whatever. I was like, this is very close to being great. But, oh, the, the handheld flamethrower. But that, that scene is so close to being an amazing visual element where it's like they're fighting in the dark and all you can see is their weapons. That's a very cool idea. Especially with the reveal that because, like, they don't, they kind of address it that, like, hemophages slash vampires are physically superior to, like, baseline humans. And so, with the reveal that uh, the prime minister, vicery, whatever the fuck his title, whatever fake title he is, um, Archminister, Archminister is also <laughs> a hemophage. And so, it's like, okay, so this is the first, or I guess the second sequence where we're going to see Violet fight someone who has her same level of ability because she took out her like <gasps> vampire cronies super well like super easily earlier it just occurred to me right now that the they may have reshot that last scene and put it all in the dark because they couldn't afford the special effects to make them fight like vampires it, it's a cheap yeah. way to do that same thing where it's like yeah we'll just make the we'll just ex- accentuate the swords because like even like the sword play isn't that impressive no something that i wish that they did is so in this movie they have this thing called flat space technology yes which i was it's, super into it was like this is hammer space but make it tech so hammer space to for anyone who's not, not familiar with that term is a term in cartoons where it's like so like imagine bugs bunny pulling a giant hammer out of nowhere that's hammer space is the idea that you can in an exaggerated reality pull something from something larger from a space that can't logically fit it that's hammer space it applies to mostly to cartoons and so it's like this is just hammer space like when you see her i think the first time i noticed it like so you see it in that opening sequence is super forgettable where they're like oh flat space technology and the dude pulls a sword out of the guy's chest and like there's like a little portal effect and he puts it back um what we see like in the Mila Jovovich fight scene where she pulls her guns out and she's like holding them out and like bullets are shooting into it, like from her wrist, like bracelet. And like, that's a super cool idea. I really like the idea of like quantum tunneling, like technology. Yeah. Yeah. What I wish that they did was take more advantage of this type of technology they had. So going back to equilibrium, which spoiler alert, it's going to be my no concessions. Cause I kept thinking about that <laughs> while watching this thinking, Oh, it would have been so, so much better if it was trying to be equilibrium. They, they, in that movie, they base an entire like fake fighting style gun kata around using guns in a flashy way. I wish that they invested a lot more time in saying we have swords, which can compress down to like nothing. What if there was some crazy fighting style based around swords that can appear and disappear into reality at will? That would have been super cool to see. Yeah, like you throw up the sword, it disappears, and then it's in your hand over here. Like, fuck, that would have been sick, yeah. Mm -hmm. They could have done a lot. Maybe they even did do it, and they just had to cut it out. Yeah, Yeah. like putting bullets that she's got like in, in her hammer space into her guns like conceptually is cool, but movies already do that, right? Where every movie you see, they don't pay attention but to I how many bullets the are in the effort. clip. 
because that really frustrates me when I see it. I mean, we've talked about it on the show before. Was like where people just infinitely shoot guns that we know in the real world what their chamber size, like what their clip size is. I really liked that part where she walks into the cross right. building <laughs> and they're just going like, through her inventory. And the, one of the things that upsets me, but now that you say that it was cut out, uh, it one of the things that bothers me about uh, movies is when they refer to something that's cooler than what's going on on screen. Mm-hmm. So when they show the doctor or the, the prime viceroy or whatever, the video of her shooting all those guys, I was like, why the fuck wouldn't you just show that? That's way more interesting yeah. than just saying like, oh, she shot a bunch of dudes. They're like, a, like fucking 40 dudes down there. Show us them dudes getting killed. Yeah. They do give us like a little taste of it because like he, we, they do show the perspective if it's like tablet or whatever and there's like a bunch of dudes just like yeah Uh, this movie i recommend watching it what are we giving this what are we giving this i'm gonna give like i said i was gonna do a bit where this is gonna be my no concession for the week (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna give it a five like ultraviolet is worth watching purely for the potential of what this book of this book what this movie could have been i would understand giving it a three i'm gonna give it a five because it's right up my alley yeah, in terms of execution, it's like a one because it's not a finished it's movie. Not finished. But in terms of the potential that it could have had, it could very well be like, you know, a four or even five star movie. Not for being, you know, a quality cinema or anything, but it, the for the type of movie it's trying to be, it could have been so much better than most other stuff that comes out. And aside from like Kurt Wimmer's like weird obsession with wanting to direct comic movies, if you ignore that aspect of it, the fact that it's like completely original story is super cool too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna just slap on uh in letterbox, I'm gonna give it two and a half stars. Because we gotta we gotta think of the finished product more yeah. so than yeah. like what All it right. could have been. Considering what we actually got versus the potential, yeah, probably like a three, two and a half. I think uh, Kurt Wimmer, I know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for mispronouncing your name. If I am, give us the Wimmer cut. Show us show us what you got. Show me what you got. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's yeah. do it on Twitter. Let's uh, just we'll just have a Twitter campaign of just the no concessions audience. To, well, you know now all, that all fifty listeners now that now that the Snyder cut is actually being produced, who knows if Look, some sort of like nerds new, have power now? Yeah, there, do they? There might be just like a brand new wave. Of, you know, you know that movie that a lot of people kind of liked. We're releasing it again, but it's got a new director now and a new aesthetic to Warner it Warner Brothers too. just threw $60,000 at reshoots for a movie that performed poorly. So what, what movie was that? Justice League. Oh, 60, only 60,000? 60, 60, 60, 60 million. 60 million? Oh. Well, I mean, we keep I, saying I, thousand. Assume, yeah, I assume I meant million. 60,000 right. is wrong. No, you're right. Yeah. I meant million because 60,000 is one person for a couple of weeks. That's one person for a couple of hours. Yeah. Uh, or That's, like a camera yeah. that you're renting just yeah. for the day. They just threw $60 million at a movie that underperformed. So, all right, when we come back, uh, no concessions.
Welcome back to No Concessions, our titular segment where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movies. Let's start with you, Charles. So, as I mentioned on the last episode, I have a watch list that I've been working through. And a movie that I watched this week was the first Kung Fu Panda uh, by DreamWorks. That movie's fucking good, you guys. Like, Kung Fu Panda as a children's movie is actually pretty solid. And for a movie that came out in 2006, the special, like, the animation is very good. Like, better than I expected. So, Kung Fu Panda 2 came out in, I think, 2016. Or, or 3 came out in 2016. And it's very fluid and, like, indicative of other animated films that came out in 2014, 15, 16, like, around that period. But, like, Kung Fu Panda, the first one came out in 2006. And, I'm like, yo, the fur looks really good. They're, like, expressions are really impressive. But also, like, it's a very tight script that goes top to bottom. The performances are all pretty solid. It is kind of weird that of the celebrity voice actors that aren't the two or three main characters, that David Cross gets more lines than anybody else other than Jack Black and uh, Dustin Hoffman um, as a side character. But uh, it's like genuinely pretty funny. I know my last No Concessions is also ostensibly a children's movie. (laughs) But Kung Fu Panda's pretty solid. Like, it's on. If you got HBO Max, fucking check it out. I'm going to watch all three of them. Or I'm going to watch the other two probably this week as well. But like, Kung Fu Panda's a surprisingly good movie. The fight choreography is way better than it has any business being. And they definitely take advantage of the fact that it is a cartoon. Like, they take real advantage of the loose physics and, of, like, the characters. And it's just genuinely exciting to watch uh, fight sequences. Um, if you haven't watched Kung Fu Panda in a while, or if you've never seen it, I definitely recommend watching the first Kung Fu Panda. Like, it shouldn't be good, but also there are three of them, and it deserves it. <laughs> so, fucking watch Kung Fu Panda. I don't really have a lot to say about it. It's a very tight film. The message is super simple, being a children's movie, but, like, not pandering. So... If you got HBO Max, uh, fucking check out Kung Fu Panda. You'll be surprised by how good it is, especially for 2006. Oh, yeah. As I said already, Equilibrium is my positive pick. You can think of it as the, the level of quality of a movie that Ultraviolet probably would have gotten to. Its its themes are more like apparent and solid than Ultraviolet were. Apparently, in another one of the round of cuts that Sony made to it, the relationship between Shit, Equilibrium was two thousand two. Yeah, Violet and the the boy she's trying to rescue, who we never mentioned in the review, but it's not important because his know, name is Six, and he's played by a bad child actor as opposed to our last film that had a competent child actor. Yeah, there was supposed to be more of like a protective mother-son connection between the two of them. Yeah, there's there's really almost no reason for Mila Jovovich's character to want to protect this boy other than the plot needs it. But it sounds like one of the plot threads that got stripped out of the movie were she and the, the kid were... They had some sort of emotional bond which tied her to want the best possible life for this kid. So that theme is not in Ultraviolet, but there is like, you know, a similarly strong theme in Equilibrium with 
Christian Bale's character trying to deal with the fact that he's having emotions for the first time. There's this drug in the movie that suppresses people's emotions because that causes man to be violent. And he's trying to, he's like a cop essentially uh, hunts down people who stop taking this pill, which suppress people's emotions. And he finds this woman who is starting to experience that. And she is trying to motivate him to stop taking his own pill And in the end of the movie, she ends up getting killed by the government because they can't allow any kind of emotion. And that drives Christian Bale into his final act of taking down the government because this isn't the way man is meant to live. And then all the action is pretty solid. It's also unique because they've got that gun kata fighting style that you don't really see in any other movies. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I'm definitely like talking about it from the perspective of... No, it's on Hulu. I just looked it up. I don't know why I asked that question. <laughs> it's on Hulu. We finished yeah. a small bottle of whiskey while we've been recording, audience. So, um, Yeah, definitely check it out. However, this is more like college age me talking about it. And if I were to see it now, it might like annoy me a little bit more than it would have back then. But definitely super cool action, if, if nothing else. That's what's up. Um, my no concession pick this time is The Black Tavern. It's a kung fu movie. Let me see. I've seen The Black Tavern. It's it's fun. 1972. Yeah. It's difficult to find. Uh, A lot of these old kung fu movies are. But I recently started watching them because a girl said she liked them. So I was like, oh, I want to be close to you. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, I just, I started watching them because... For some reason, the algorithm on YouTube out of nowhere started recommending clips to me. And I was just like, dog, like old Jackie Chan movies are fun. So like there's a there's a kung fu fighter named, I think, Christine Rothrock that was like really sick. And like also somebody on Twitter had been posting a bunch. And I was just like, damn, I need to uh, I need to check out some kung fu shit so i hit up uh one of the former guests on the show mike dick his government name literally his government name and uh i asked him what he recommended and he gave me a couple movies the black tavern was one of them it's a really simplistic movie about a guy pretending to be another guy and somebody who's hunting the guy that's pretending to be another guy and they go hang out at this tavern and different guests come in and they have to fight off each one of the guests. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's, it's a fun movie. Fun. Uh, there are, there's also cannibalism featured in the movie, yeah. like randomly, but whatever. It's a, it's a fun Kung Fu movie. If you can find it, good luck. Um, I, I recommend checking it out. You know how horror movies have a streaming service? Uh, Shutter. Yeah, there needs to be one for kung fu movies for sure. Like like kung fu and black exploitation films. Like we need to have like an archive of them that we can just access via streaming. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, we'll see you next time. You guys have anything you want to plug? You can follow me on Twitter. No hypothesis for programming jokes, which amuse only me. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can follow me at the Charles Time on Twitter, um, where I tweet every three weeks about the band cameo and it's just for Denzel and, <laughs> and I appreciate it. And, uh, I guess on Instagram, uh, also at the Charles time because branding where I only post to my story, uh, art from comic book artists that I think are doing cool stuff. Also follow Dan Mora on Instagram. He's the lead artist for, uh, boom studios, uh, mighty Morphin power Rangers. It's fucking great doing truly impressive stuff over there hell yeah all right later see ya
Nothing. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>